We are working our way throughout the book of Proverbs, and I invite your attention today on Father's Day to that same book. The early church was uh, out of a Jewish background and was a Bethah Mikvah and a Bethah Tifla and a Bethah Knesset. It was a house of study, a house of learning. It was a house of prayer and a house of assembly. Knesset, Bethah, Knesset. The idea was that the early body came together to take care of community things. One of the community things that we do is to give affirmation to the family. And as a family today, this is a Beth Knesset worship time. And I want us to talk about fathers. I spent a good share of my 40 years of ministry talking about what we dads ought to be doing, haranguing us, harassing us, instructing us, and motivating us. And I thought today I would take the other tack, that rather I would talk about what all the rest of you owe us as fathers. And all the dads said, amen. So let's title this something really creative, what I owe my father, if you would. In Proverbs chapter 1, it begins very early, setting the pace for being the word of a father to a son. Verse 8, chapter 1. My son, hear the instruction of your father. And so it goes throughout the book of Proverbs. There is a figure that looms large over the American landscape, very significant figure. Without him, there would be virtually no economy. Without this figure, the jails would be filled even more than they are. Our streets would be more violent. Rape would be more common. Wife and child abuse would be much more prevalent. Schools would be more violent. Churches would be empty. Imagine America without a single father. Imagine a church without a single dad. Imagine a family and the next door family, and the next door family, no father, no one there, no dad present. David Blankenhorn, who is not exactly a right-wing nut, <laughs> said, who is the head, by the way, of the Institute for American Values, he said the most important predictor of criminal behavior it's not race, not income, not religious affiliation. It is father's absence. It's boys who don't grow up with their fathers. That's not a figment, figment of his imagination. That is now supported more and more by researchers from all across the social spectrum. Here is a, more of his quote. Apart from this discrete list of social problems, the trend of fatherlessness contributes to and is an important driving force behind what might be called a social recession. It is the widely shared sense among many Americans that we are, not, we are in not an economic recession, but a social recession or a cultural recession. It is a time of declining sense of civic obligation, a lowering of trust in social institutions, a diminution of caring for one another in society, along with the increase of a range of personal pathologies, 
emblemized most vividly by an increase in violent crime, but also including a range of personal problems from eating disorders to unipolar depression, teenage suicide, declining mental health, and so on. And he went on to say that America is losing something far more vital than economic leadership. We are losing social and philosophical leadership because of what we have been doing to the men of America and what we have not been doing for the fathers of this land. I think that it is, it is axiomatic, if I may say so, that we need a dad. I understand that a good a male role model can take the place of a father when there's a single parent. I believe that can happen. I believe that a grandfather can take his place. But I believe we need a father. I believe every child, every boy and girl, needs a father. That father in the home becomes a rule maker, an affirmation maker, and a mercy maker. It is the way that order is kept in the home. That is why we speak of dad as the head of a family. doesn't make the mother worth less or the woman worth less. It brings order. That's God's design to the family. But it is also the way we learn about God. As I am early exposed to my father, I early form impressions about who God is. It was my father's authoritative voice at which he spoke and I obeyed. But at the same time, it was my dad's loving hand that taught me that God could be full of justice and holiness, but at the same time could be merciful and loving and kind. So we need dads not only to bring order to society, but we need fathers in order to lead us to God. Now, if you find that as sexist or feminist, then let me give you the alternative. A society without men would be a terribly violent society. Imagine what would happen when boys have no dads and no men in order to restrain them or to bring order to society. And so, last Saturday morning, when I made a call to my mother, if you'll permit me a personal digression, and mother, with her own dementia problems, said to me, awful, 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 I hurried to their place only to find my father unconscious, to take him by ambulance to a hospital and to sit with him all this week after a stroke which has affected his own capacity to think and affected his heart. And so I've spent hours with him at his side this week. And I, as I've spent hours, I've thought over and over and over again, what is it? I owe my dad. What do I really owe him? Oh, there were times when this brilliant man whose eccentricity was exceeded only by Howard Hughes, perhaps, there were times when he exacerbated me and he embarrassed me. It was at Amy's wedding right here, standing right here, that he took off in the middle of that preliminary part of the ceremony into a long biblical discourse on homosexuality. This is my daughter's wedding, at which he declared God did not create Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve. And I was red, white, and blue at one time and wanted to fall through the floor. 
I decided it would be good for them while they were still in health to, to do it if I would take them with me on the Bible study cruise. He was 82 at the time. He knows the Bible forwards and backwards. Sometimes the application gets a little bit different from what I would make. But basically, I got my application and interpretation from him. But there were those times on the cruise when Charles Stanley had spoken, and my father felt compelled to instruct him and went forward, and Charles was on one foot and then the other trying to get away from this old man. And Dad was giving him points on his sermon and his message so that he would do a better job the next time he spoke. And I was embarrassed, but Charles patiently listened to him because he was my father, and he, <laughs> he, uh, uh, he took time with him for that reason. Oh, there were times and as, as a boy when I was embarrassed that we weren't the richest probably the poorest family on the block, when there were four old cars, none of which would start on their own, all of which had to be pushed in order to be started. In order to go to school, you let one roll down the driveway and block the traffic in the street and pushed it until it started, and then you let it run and pulled it off to the side until the next car rolled out, and all six boys got out to push that one and get it going, and we would get all the cars started, and I would drive to school and watch my friends pull up in their shiny new cars that had automatic starts, and I was a little embarrassed. All of that, yes, so I've, I've been through that with my father. But at the same time, he was my father. And at the same time, there were some things that I owed to him because he was dead. He sat down and wrote a poem. Today, he couldn't write this poem because he couldn't get his thoughts all together, of course. He said, um, he gave it to me and said, uh, there is something very special between a father and his son. It can never be superficial, for it lasts till life is done. And though life brings many changes as the years do come and go, yet the bond of faith through ages lingers, fed by love's warm glow. It begins when life's first given to that little son so sweet, and it lasts till both in heaven meet at Jesus' blessed feet. If the bond were only earthy, life's too short and years too few. So let each make sure he's worthy to in heaven that bond renew. Now a father's obligation to a little son is plain, for there's wealth of adoration in that childish face to gain. And the little feet will follow in the steps the man has trod. May they only lead to heaven where they both shall be with God. When in life's great conflagration men are pressed with trials sore, make them, may examples set before them make them steadfast as before. For we have a great example, Heavenly Father and His Son, and we know Christ's grace is ample both to make eternally one. Though the, the ties between girls and mothers may be strong as we all know, and though folks talk of youth's lovers with their bonds of hope's fresh glow, yet no joy can match the father's and no memory like the lad's, for there's ne'er a bond that matters much as a boy and his dad's. He wrote that, gave it to me, made copies, passed it around to all the brothers in my family. And I've thought of that many times this week. 
As I stood beside the bedside and listened to his long discourses, which didn't go anywhere, didn't make any sense, and were out of touch with reality, and I thought of them as I took um, strawberry ice cream and mixed it, tried, trying to sneak in a little strawberry insure to make sure that he got a little extra nutrition. And he would take the first bite and say, there's something in that milkshake. Don't you give that to me. <laughs> and he was so shrewd that even in his state, he knew I was trying to slip something over or rather in on him as the case may be. While sitting, I took the book of Proverbs again that I've gone through so many times in preparing for this series of messages. And I reread it again, and I wrote down every time there was a word from dad to son. That's what the book of Proverbs is written on, isn't it? Thirteen times he says, my son, my son, my son, my son. Now, son, oh, son, listen to dad, son. Listen to your father. And out of that, and all of the references to sons, there arose thematically from the passage six things that the book of Proverbs teaches clearly we owe our fathers. I've sat by his bedside when he was so lethargic he would not answer me, and I've given reaffirmation to these things, that not only have I tried to give those to my father, I will continue as long as God gives him life, and here they are. The first of those that I found in the book of Proverbs is gracious obedience. I owed that to my dad because he was my father. Oh, there were times when I could hardly wait to get away from home. I remember thinking when I go to college, how wonderful it's going to be. I won't have my dad telling me what to do anymore. And when I got to college, I had everybody telling me what to do. Frankly, I've got Almost 6,000 church members telling me what to do. I got more people telling me what to do I've ever had in my life. And as I reflect upon that now, I re, I'm reminded that there's value in learning temporarily from your father while you're in that home. And I owe my dad gracious obedience. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Now, even there, the hint is clear as to what father's role and mother's role really is. Father is the one who's giving instruction, and he's giving verbal instruction and verbal correction and nuthetic uh, 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 commands. Do not forsake the law, the habits established by your mother. You've watched her. She's nurturing the habits of the soul. Dad's teaching the mind. There's a role there, isn't there? There's something we owe him. If that's dad's job before God, then I help him before God when I graciously obey him. And I say graciously because it means I obey him when I recognize he is not perfect. And I recognize his imperfections and I still obey him because he is my earthly father. And it is from my relationship with my earthly father that I will learn attitudes towards my heavenly father. And I obey him. Because I want, as all of us must, to come to that place where I transfer my faith so that what I believe about Jesus is no longer just what my father believes, but it's now my belief. And I've accepted it for my own. But left behind is my father's training of me 
so that I have a spirit of obedience which carries over not just to God, but to the, the people whom I serve and the, 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 uh, the colleagues with whom I serve and the God whom I serve. And so the father trains up that child. And then we go from a parent-child relationship to an adult-adult relationship. But the adult who's been trained to obey winds up an adult who is easily taught and instructed and follows God clearly and simply because he was taught to obey. And if I can obey an earthly father who is not perfect because I have graciously obeyed him, then I have very little difficulty obeying a father who is infinite and perfect and holy and has no flaws and I have absolutely no case or argument against him. So I obey him because he's a model of God and he teaches me gracious obedience. You see it again in chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear my children the instruction of a father. Listen to me, young people. The greatest gift you can give your dad today is an understanding that as long as you're in his home, you will honor him by obeying him. And even though you understand he is not perfect, you will obey him because he is dad and he's placed there by God and God placed him there so that you would know how to obey the heavenly father. The second thing I think I owe my father is guided watchfulness. Guided watchfulness against sin. Chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Oh, he said, be careful, verse 19. These are the ways of everyone greedy for gain. But if, if, you, do, don't, if you don't keep a watchfulness over sin, it will take away the life your life, and you will be ashamed to me, he goes on to say. I think I owe that to my father. Chapter 19, verse 18, gives us some clues as to why we owe watchfulness to our father. In chapter 19, verse 18, the Scripture says, Be sure to chasten your son. Don't ignore the correction of your son when he is young. While there is hope, that means when he is young. And do not set your heart on his destruction. If you don't chasten or discipline your son young, then he will grow up to be ashamed to you, and he will not give you rest. The time to train his attitude towards sin is when he's young, is what he's saying. See, I owe that to my father. I owe it to watch for sin. There is a sense, and this is one of the few relationships in which this would occur, there is a sense in which if I were to sin and sin openly, it would break my father's heart. How many, how many relationships outside of the family are there like that? Do you know why? The father has moral and spiritual aspirations for his child. I have hopes for my child. I want my child to be raised a holy man, a holy woman of God. I want my children to have a watchfulness for sin because my life is compromised and my aspirations are compromised. 
by the sin of my children. I feel betrayed when my children betray my hopes and ask, oh, I know I can't be responsible for them. I know when they turn a certain age, they go on their own. And I'm here to tell you, I've been through four adult children, and they're all ages now, from, from 30 to 165, I think. But I am here to tell you that once a dad, you're always a dad. And I never lose an interest in what God is doing in their lives. Never, never, never. And so I watch out for them. And I owe that to my father. What shame it would be for my dad. What heartache it would be. And I don't want to see that in him. And so that's the second thing I owe my father. Is a guided watchfulness against sin. I'm forever intrigued by what Joseph said when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. Do you remember what he said? How can I do this thing and sin against whom? God. This is a sin against God. And that's the idea that I must keep a watchfulness over my life because of the moral aspirations of my earthly father and the yearning for holiness that my heavenly father has for me. Third, I owe my father good judgment. Good judgment. Chapter 3 gives me an interesting clue on this. Chapter 3, verse 21. My son, let the things which are the result of God's wisdom, that is, not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck, and you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. My son, he says, he is pleading, show good judgment. Why? Because your judgment, son, is a reflection of my judgment. Where did my son learn to make good choices? learns to make them from the male role model that God has given him. If you had a dad, that's the best place to learn. If you're a single parent or you're coming up without your father always present in the home, then build a relationship with your dad. Work hard at it and seek a grandfather or a neighbor or a friend, a male role model who can help you to build good judgment. Chapter 23 Verse 15, the writer of Proverbs gives us another insight. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Every dad knows what that's like. Every dad understands that. When you watch your children make wise decisions, your heart rejoices. You rejoice inside. Your inmost being, you take secret pride in that. We were on the Holy Land trip, and John and Shelley, uh, the Chapman's daughter, John and Shelley McGuirt, were with us. And on the trip, we were talking about preaching there in Greenville, South Carolina, and they're members of my son Steve's church. And John said, oh, we love your son, what a great job he does preaching. And then one of the ladies laughingly said, yes, I suspect they think that he's, he's better than his old man. 
Now, what should my response to that be? Should I get defensive and say, oh, no, I can prove to you I'm better than he is? No, I'm not in competition with my son. If I'm in competition with my son, I'm a bigger fool than he is, whatever he is. Amen? Amen? Amen. No, I just stood up straight. I swelled with pride. And I came back with a typical answer. I learned to respond like this from my dad. I said, well, that's because of who was his teacher. Amen. <laughs> so we'll stand on that. Sure. A father rejoices in his son. A wise son makes a dad's heart rejoice. I'll tell you, that's better than a million dollars. A son, a daughter serving God, making responsible choices before God. They're not perfect. Oh, we know that. They, they got too much of their mother in them for that. You know that. <laughs> and you know I'm only jousting, of course. But, but, but that's what makes a dad rejoice. I owe that to my dad. After all he's been through, can I make his heart sing? Can I make his heart rejoice? Dad, what do I need to do to make you sing again? What do I need to do to make you proud? I ask you that question. Ask it of yourself. If my father's living, what can I do to put a song back in the heart of my dad and make him rejoice in his inmost being by seeing how I'm building good judgment? Oh, some of you will say, but pastor, you don't understand the dumb things I've decided, the mistakes. Oh, yes. Yes, everyone in here knows that we can identify with you. There's nobody in this building who wouldn't take back some decisions they've made in life. Is that true or false? There's no one here who wouldn't say, if I could just do that one more time. I didn't mean to hurt mother when I did that. I didn't mean to hurt dad when I did that. But I'll tell you what, you can pick up. And on this Father's Day, where that man who is to lead you to God, who is to build an image of who God is in you, you can pick up and say to him, all right, Dad, I want you to know that I've learned much from you, and I appreciate you, and I want to show my love for you by my development of good judgment. There's a fourth thing I owe my father. That fourth thing is guarded friendships. I think I owe that to my dad. My dad's purpose is to... Bring me up in a way, not that I'll be dependent upon him and be a clone to him or be a slave to him or have him make my decisions for the rest of life, but he raised me up in order to teach me value so he could turn me loose and I could choose friendships on my own. The first is a wife. That's something you better pray about. Or a husband. That's something you better pray about. But the choice of friends is very significant. Friends often become tools by which young people can break your heart. They will choose a certain kind of friend just because they think it will hurt you or it will test you or it will drive you up a wall. And so I think I owe it to my dad to build guarded friendships. Proverbs 29, chapter 29 Verse 3 gives me a clue to this, and there are many other verses. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. 
at least one of the great lessons about the, the parable in the New Testament or the story Jesus told about the prodigal son is that choosing wrong companions diminishes the resources of your father, of your family. And nowhere is that truer than in choosing friendships. Teach your children how to make choices. Now, I wouldn't have wanted my dad to choose a wife for me. I've talked to him about what makes a good wife. I can tell you I would not have wanted him to choose. There's a dear young East Indian couple whom I've come to to like very much who've been visiting our church and were having dinner with me at the dinner with the pastors on Monday evening. Daniel and Esther thought that I thought to myself, I wonder about arranged marriage because we had another couple that had had an arranged marriage who are no longer members have moved to Raleigh. So I asked him and he said, oh yes, certainly. My father and her father got together one month before we were married. We were only engaged one month. I only had seen her one month. And he said, dad agreed that she would make me a good wife And her father agreed that I would make her a good husband. And he said, it's worked out wonderfully well. And he said, we have very few divorces in India. And I said, well, why do you think that is? And his answer was classic. He said, we have no choice. (laughs) But there is an element of truth to that. While I wouldn't want my father choosing my wife for me, I wouldn't bring a wife, a proposed wife to him for whom I did not have his blessing. Would you? I would want his blessing at least. I would want his counsel. Now, Dad, here's the the lady I think God is leading me to. Tell me what about her. Tell me the best. Tell me what to watch out for. It might not be arranged, but wise is the counsel of a father to a son on the selection of companions, if you please, the choice of those with whom you're going to spend your time. And so I owe that to my dad because it's a reflection of him. Running with the wrong crowd affects my dad's testimony as much as it affects mine in a way. There is a fifth thing that I owe my dad, and it is godly respect. Godly respect, chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs Gives us an interesting clue to that, chapter 3 and verse 11. And here the writer of Proverbs says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Don't fight against God's discipline in your life. Respect the Lord. He's already said it several times. Verse 7 of chapter 3, fear the Lord. And apart from evil, fear God, that is, respect Him. Now, respect has to do with my attitudes. Respect has to do with my attitudes towards myself as a result of my father. It's how I feel about him or my mother inside. That's the difference between respect and honor. To respect my father is to hold him in my mind in high esteem, and to honor him in my thought life and my habit life by the way I make decisions. That's the way I show godly respect. I owe that to him. I owe that to him simply because he's my dad. I know not all biological parents are worthy of respect. I understand that. 
but there is some respect you give to your father just because he is your dad. It's the same way with a pastor. First Thessalonians chapter 5. You hold a pastor in high esteem simply because he's a pastor. There is some esteem you give him just because of his work's sake. And there is esteem and respect that I give to my father. I will tell you that one of the great disappointments of this last generation, and it's the generation that many of us, you and I, my age, have raised, that are showing the least respect for older people. And what can we do to recapture the, whole, the, the soul of America? What can we do to bring us out of this social recession that David Blankenhort said we are in because we've lost respect for family members and particularly for fathers? There is a sixth one that I owe my dad. I owe him grand honor. I owe him gracious obedience, guided watchfulness, good judgment, guarded friendships, and godly respect, but I owe him grand honor. I owe him honor because he is God's representative. I owe him honor because of what he has given and done and said. Proverbs chapter 23. Turn with it, with me to it, if you would. Verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. There it is. So I owe him not only respect, but honor. Now, honor is different from respect. I honor my father by adding weight to him. I honor my father by what I do because of who he is. Not just the attitude I hold, that's respect. But honor has to do with my behavior towards him. It's what I do for him. I've tried to honor my father. When he wanted potato soup, I made potato soup and took it to him this week. He decided he didn't want it after he had it. When he wanted ice cream, I got ice cream and brought the ice cream. Honor is adding weight. The Hebrew idea is that of weight. It's adding weight to him. Not just respect the way you hold him in your mind. It is what you do towards him. It is adding to him or adding to her if you're honoring your mother. I honor my father in order to honor God. I honor my father because I honor God. And I honor my father because I want my children to learn to honor me. And if I honor my father and I reap, I sow honor, I will reap honor. And I will reap honor after I sow honor. And I will reap more honor than I have ever sown to my own dad. That's the law of sowing and reaping honor. And I don't honor him because he is perfect. And I don't honor him because I worship him. And I don't honor him just because I fear him. I honor him because he gave me life and he gave me a raising. Can I suggest a few things that you would do if your father's living today? And if not, you might want to write this to a daughter or a son and express how much you loved and appreciated their dad. First, write a note to your father. Everybody. If you can, call him. If you can get to him, call him. 
And when you write to him, would you give honor to him? Would you give affirmation to him? Some of us are always looking for affirmation from dad. Hey, I'm a dad, and I can tell you I still love to get affirmation from my children. I'm ready to take on the United Nations and the whole world when a son walks up to me and says, Dad, you're the greatest dad anybody could have. Bring on World War I and II combined. I'm ready. I'll take it. Right? So write a note to your dad. Secondly, teenagers, young people, talk up your parents to your friends. Don't let somebody put your dad down. Today in Sunday school, Tell somebody what a great dad you've got. Say, yeah, but my dad's not perfect. Yeah, but neither are you. And you wouldn't expect him to be perfect. He's not God. Talk him up. Talk positively. Third, obey him cheerfully. Oh, the greatest thing you can do is say, Dad, I want to be in this. Oh, you say, I'm 25 years old. Well, wait a minute. You may not obey your dad as you did when you were 10. But there is a spirit of obedience, a spirit that says, I certainly want to take my dad's considerations into view. Fourth, put your dad's interests above your own for just once and try to see him through your eyes. It was amazing after I had children how much more I thought of my dad. Oh, I think we all go through this stage when My dad knows everything, and he can do everything. My dad taught me how to break a tire down. We didn't take a tire to a gas station, a service station. Some of you kids are saying, what's a service station? We didn't take a tire to a service station to have it fixed on a pneumatic machine. You got all the kids out there, and dad got a bunch of great big old bars, and we started breaking that bead and standing on it while we broke it all around the rim. And we all labored together to change that tire, put a boot in it if you know what a boot is. And if you don't know, ask your dad. Ask your mom if he doesn't know. (laughs) Put their interests above your own. Fifthly, periodically contact your dad and ask him how he's feeling and how he's doing. How are things going? Don't put the burden always on him. Take the initiative. Go to him. Dad, is there anything you need? What can I do for you today? How could I bless your life? Dad, could I pray for you? And finally, I encourage you, pray for your parents. Put your parents specifically on your prayer list. You cannot pray for someone very long before you will love them in a new way. You cannot pray repetitively for somebody very long before God will give you an incredible, overwhelming love for them. That's true of lost people. That's true of your children. That's true of your parents. So I want to honor my dad. I owe that to him, not because he's perfect, (laughs) because I know he's finite, not because I worship him, not because I fear him, but because of who he is and what he gave me. And he led me to worship God. And I worship God not just because of what he gives me, but because God brings order to this world as a father brings order to a family. God brings authority to this universe as a father brings authority. The the father in heaven brings cohesiveness to everything as a father does in a home. My father brought God to me, 
and of all the images I have, how he moved his hand, and I see so many ways I'm like him. It's in the genes. I don't have any excuse for it. It's in the genes. The way I deal with things, sometimes I don't like it, the way I make decisions the way he does. But there's one image I can never get away, and that is the image as a boy of getting up in the middle of the night and seeing my father on his knees on an old worn-out linoleum floor. Pastor, what's linoleum? On an old linoleum floor, I can see him on his knees. And as I got up to sneak over to the bathroom, I can hear, as a boy, I can hear my dad calling out the names of his boys, praying for us. I guess my dad taught me to come humbly but boldly into the throne of grace. And I owe something to him for introducing me to the Heavenly Father. And the Heavenly Father has done all he can to reach out to you today. He sent Jesus Christ to the cross to provide for your sins. And he gives you an invitation to come and acknowledge your sin and acknowledge Christ. And in a moment, he'll forgive you and cleanse you and make you a new creature and give you a new relationship with God. It doesn't make any difference what kind of relationship you had with your earthly father. Oh, I know it will still be hard, but God can give you a brand new start with him as heavenly father. He is the God who has a plan. He is the God of wisdom. He is the God of justice, but he is the God of mercy and the God of love. But you must come to him and give him what is due him. He is the creator, and we are the creation. Amen and amen. Let us stand in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank and praise you for who you are. And pray that you shall make an indelible impression upon all of us to see the link between our earthly fathers and you, our heavenly Father. And Father, there are many of us who are your children, but we haven't been giving attention to a church home, a church family that we ought to. And we need to make a commitment about a church home and a church family. Speak to us and draw us to this family according to your will. In Jesus' name. Amen.